The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Mixed fortunes for the big banks. Goldman Sachs misses on first quarter of revenue while pulling away from its consumer business. But Bank of America beats on the back of higher rates, even as CEO Brian Moynihan warns of a slowdown. Our team, uh, Kevin Browning Platinum Research Team, have a recession and have consistently had a recession predicted for the second half of this year, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, first quarter of next year, and then ends in that we start to see positive growth. A plot twist in after hours for Netflix as shares rebound from double-digit losses. After the streaming giant posts a beat on EPS but misses on revenue, co-CEO Greg Peters outlines delays to the crackdown on password sharing. This is an important transition for us, uh, and so we're working hard to make sure that we do it well and as thoughtfully as we can. Very much like a price increase, we see an initial cancel reaction, and then we build out of that. Is there a Fed pause on the horizon? The Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic tells CNBC the Fed should hike in May and then wait to see how its policy tightening is working through the economy. One more move should be enough for us to then take a step back and see how our policy is flowing through the economy uh, to understand the extent to which inflation is returning back to our target. And Fox News avoids the dock, settling a defamation lawsuit brought by the voting machine maker Dominion. And it settled for just under $800 million. That over its reporting of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. I'll just, just tell you what was going on here, just as we were about to come to you to talk about ASML. Steve was practicing lithography. <laughs> because it's one of those words. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Love to see you back. <laughs> nice from to your, see you. Your, your, in fact, she's been in the Netherlands as well. Yes, we're talking about lithography. Antwerp. Because Antwerp, right? it's in Belgium, yes. Oh, you're in Belgium. Okay. There are certain Nearby. words. That's Antwerp, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There are certain words <laughs> you just don't want to say on air, like preliminary yeah, or that's not lith- a great one. lithography. Yes. And we have to talk about lithography every yes. now and again. Well, you've got to anyway. Sure, there's thin, another way of saying it. Thin film or thick thick film I beg your thin f- thin film lithography <laughs> I, I think i can say lithography better than you can say <laughs> round, thin film ra- thick film round the ragged she rock she sells she <laughs> shells how about the silicon business so, semiconductors anyway um asml of course is a dutch company machines. which produces machines which make semiconductors effectively so yeah, they the export machines, machines. It, it, yeah absolutely there's a way around the so, so the company uh, the company reporting this morning 6.7 billion net sales uh, the company uh, giving us a, a line 2 billion net income in the first quarter of 2023 uh, the group says it expects uh, second quarter 03 net sales of between 6.5 billion and 7 billion and a gross margin of between 50 and 51% the uh, group talking about uh, R&D costs of around uh, 990 million. 
Uh, the company intends to declare a total dividend for the year 2022 of €5.80 per ordinary share, which would be a 5.5% increase compared to 2021. From my perspective, there are a couple of interesting stories about ASML that it's just worth flagging up here. The first one, I think, is we're very interested to know what sales are like for the machines, because as we're looking at the industry as a whole, there is a glut in some parts of the technology. And how is that impacting ASML, which is selling the machines? That's what we'd like to know. I think the first quarter is always a little bit of a slower quarter in the semiconductor cycle anyway. So um, again, we're looking to see how those numbers improve into the second quarter. And the other point, of course, is that ASML is in the middle of a political catfight. And I haven't seen a a statement um, so far in what I've read explaining any more about or or giving any more perspective on that from ASML here. But of course, we talked to the boss not not that long ago, and we did get a sense that actually they're in a very difficult space. I spoke to the boss's boss, which is Mark Rutter, the boss of the Netherlands, um, which is near somewhere where Karen went recently. Um, And and the point here was the, the Biden administration wanted the Dutch to stop exports of their newer and older ASML uh, lithography machines to China because they wanted to join the US in an export ban. There was a concern on the Dutch side that this was actually about competitive advantage rather than just politics with China as well. The update from, and I'm sure you've all read silicon.co.uk, it's one of the websites I go to on a regular basis. Um, the Dutch government then, about a month ago, uh, actually, first time I've ever looked at it, uh, confirmed for the first time that it will impose new export controls on microchips manufacturing equipment to protect national security after US pressure to halt the sale of chips printing machine, another word for lithography, from ASML to China. Uh, Three questions today. One, the geopolitics, how it impacts ASML. Number two, the supply chain glut. Number three, AI pricing. And I was reading a report yesterday, nearly fell off my train seat, (laughs) effectively a double upgrade for NVIDIA from HSBC. No, unfortunately not in the train seat, but on NVIDIA stock from HSBC. I thought that's not something you often see. You see an upgrade, but not a double upgrade, suggesting that an analyst was so badly positioned. And the story here was that the supply chain glut was such a dominant factor after all the investment in recent years. They revisited the NVIDIA stock and went, well, look at the AI pricing model. This is a, a company set to benefit from generative AI, this has not been priced into our expectations. I thought that was stunning to to revisit such a well-known company in that context. So I think for ASML and the like in the industry now, the question is, is there something that everybody's missed in what has been a very rapid story around generative AI? Do they also benefit from the pricing models that we'll see in the industry along with the demand story? And already there's been some raking over whether they're well poised because of EUV that already you're starting to see a lot of companies having to build out capacity to uh, allow greater computing for generative AI. So there potentially is a payday at the end of this for ASML. Everybody loves a gold rush, don't they? And AI is the latest gold rush. And we've, we've seen many of them in the past in tech terms, you know, whether it's 5G or whether it's cloud or whether it's other things. My, my, um, I, I would just say be, be cautious, okay, because we've also seen with 5G and cloud that the gold rush runs its course and not everybody makes money from it. So I think it's just, a, I think... I think AI at the moment is a very, very exciting story. So many interesting geopolitical issues as well, because of course the, the chip technology will not go to China. China's desperately build, trying to build its own teams now to make sure it can compete against the US on this topic. Um, but, but, you know, 
good luck to the uh, the analysts who are pushing the upgrades. At yeah, the let's see whether everybody gets to declare Eureka yeah. or whether it's just a, a few in the business. Yeah. Let's take you to some of the major banks reporting. And uh, first up, first quarter profit at Goldman Sachs slumped 18%, weighed down by a lackluster performance at its fixed income trading unit and a pullback in deal making. Investment banking revenue fell 26% versus a year ago, echoing similar declines by JP Morgan and Citi last week. The group also continued to reverse its push into the retail banking sector, selling down $1 billion worth of consumer loans and announcing plans to divest GreenSky, that was the consumer banking company it acquired for $2.2 billion a little over a year ago. And when it comes to uh, elsewhere, Goldman's results contrast with those of Bank of America, which reported a 15% rise in first quarter profit after its bond traders saw their best quarter in over a decade. Now, revenue was also a beat, coming in at $26.3 billion. Despite the numbers, the bank announced plans to cut as many as 4,000 positions before the end of June. That uh, really equates to about 2% of its overall workforce. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan has told CNBC he sees only a slight recession hitting the United States and that big lenders have managed to come out of the recent banking turmoil relatively unscathed. We feel very good about this industry. It's well managed. The business models that were uh, challenged early this uh, in, in March were very different from the, than the the banks at uh, the regional banking system and stuff and we've seen the stability coming system and that's a very good thing for america Quite. it is very interesting what's going on the back there's so many facets to this u.s bank earning season with the parade continuing the stateside later today morgan stanley citizens financial and u.s bank corp reporting results before the bell but before i go into individual parts of it let's get to filippo aluati head of financials at federated hermes uh, hermes 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 yeah, hermes, yeah. Going all French and uh, luxury on you. Um, <laughs> Filippo, in terms of this earnings season, I mean, look, there's lots of individual bits I could go to, but what do you think is the most interesting thing so far? Yeah, well, the most interesting thing is that we're all waiting for the Fed, and I think uh, the Fed eventually will call it whether they put the American, the American economy in recession or not, and how it is going to affect the the banks because they're all reliant on the US consumer okay. at the end of the day. I'm going to come back at you straight away yeah. because you said they were waiting on the Fed. Well, actually, I think the Fed's waiting on the banks now. Actually, mm-hmm. I'd almost turn it on the head because yeah. we've heard from um, the ex-head of the Fed, Yellen, and obviously from Jay Powell, who is the current head of the Fed, that actually we think the banks will do a lot of the work for us now with the, the, the tightening liquidity and everyone looking at the money supply situation as well. So, yes, obviously we're looking at the Fed, but are, is the Fed looking at the banks more than the other way around to see what they do next, if you see what I mean? And this torturous, I was going to say doom loop, but it's not a doom loop. It's a spiral of some description. I think, yeah, it's, it's a spiral in the sense that so the, we're looking at the Fed and the Fed is looking at the bank. And the Fed, you're correct, um, essentially is rising the cost of deposit for the banks and this eventually there will be a bifurcation between the large banks and the regional banks the smaller banks and I think it could result in less uh, loans and less loans will do the jobs uh, to your point will the, the Fed's job easier in the sense that probably will go into a recession hopefully a mild one in the second half. Can I pick up on provisions? And just looking at a terrific uh, report that Reuters has pulled together on the amount of provisioning, if we just think that uh, we had an era of uh, some of those provisions reserves being released around the first quarter, second quarter 
of uh, 2021 or 2022 for in some cases. But now, we've, of course, we've got fairly large provisions being built up and Goldman Sachs was one of the banks that really had to ratchet up its provisioning versus the others that have been steadily increasing. What do you make of how much has been set aside, given the scenarios we're talking about, that there's still some downturn coming through the United States? Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. It's the question is, uh, I think we're going into a credit normalization first, and I think all the reserve releases are passed. And it makes sense because that's all, they, all the banks, they adjust the um, reserving on some quantitative and qualitative uh, elements. And I think that's what the vast majority is saying that around now 40% is qualitative. So how bad is going to be this uh, upcoming US recession, which has been the most predicted upon. And I think, uh, yeah, we're seeing slowly an increase in reserve, both on the consumer side and on the property side, so construction, commercial real estate, etc. We haven't heard anything yet necessarily from these major banks to spook the market on the back of banking turmoil. I mean, Goldman Sachs looked a little bit choppy in its execution strategy around consumer and what it was managing to achieve in this volatile market period. Others executed fairly well, Bank of America, for instance, but we're not hearing anything just yet that the turmoil is unsettling the banking community. Is there more to come and is that going to come from the small and, and regional lenders still? Yeah, I think so, because that's all the banks, that's all the big six, they are very, I mean, the universal banks, so are very different engines, and when one engine is not working, like, for example, corporate finance and equity capital markets, because we all know they're very little IPOs at the moment, and the market are very choppy, then, of course, so there is more boom from, say, trading, for example. Fixed income has been a good quarter because of the interest rates volatility. Almost all the banks bar Goldman Sachs, also because the expectations are always so high for Goldman in, in FIC. And yes, I mean, that's all. they have the benefit of having different uh, levers they can use. For example, they're losing some of the deposits, but at the same time, they're going more money market funds. And of course, that's what they're remunerating more on. Uh, money market funds than they, what they pay out to some of the deposito, which of course some of the smaller banks, they don't have this uh, luxury in terms of uh, liabilities. Can I ask you about contagion risk um, into the uh, commercial real estate sector? Because um, we, we know that they, they, there are these mortgage-backed securities that are sitting on the bank's books, uh, or the collateralized uh, mortgage-backed securities, the CMBS. A number of the banks have been selling these to raise money. They're obviously selling them at a loss. What are going to be the implications of this activity on funding requirements for the commercial real estate sector and how long before those chickens come home to roost? Yes, uh, yeah, the short answer is yes, there will be an increase in the cost of funding for CMBS and commercial real estate in general. And I think the banks, the strategy, which has been actually a continuation for the last two or three quarters, uh, the, the big banks, that's what essentially they uh, selling at loss uh, all those uh, all to maturity bonds, especially MBS and Treasury, because it makes sense. So the earnings are strong, and so they can absorb easily. For example, Bank of America, the quarterly profit after tax was $8 billion, which I think is a very strong quarter. But yeah, to your point, the cost of funding on, on secure and secure basis for the commercial real estate is going up, not only in, in America, but also in Europe and other parts of the world. So. And we had um, another impassioned speech by a European commissioner, I think, talking about the need for banking union and how this would help Europe. How are European banks sitting? And two, 
Um, will hell freeze over before there is banking union completed in Europe and a deposit protection scheme that is universally accepted? Uh, yeah, we've been discussing this banking union for as long as I can remember, and uh, I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, it would be an ideal outcome, but uh, I think there are lots of uh, difference around the different countries, and I think. Uh, there is now something which is called the Single Resolution Fund, which has been funded by the banks since the global financial crisis. So it is a pot of money. Of course, uh, here in Europe is always the debate how to get to the Germans' money. And I think uh, we'll be discussing this for the next few quarters. So I, I'm not expecting anything really revolutionary in the next few weeks. Filippo, yeah. you missed a, an unsavory battle, as you carry your say, between Jeff and myself. <laughs> yes, it was, it was a horrible row, whether it was 0.35 or 0.37. Yeah. Uh, is the average rate paid out on a U.S. savings account. We, we, we didn't even agree to differ, uh, 0.36. But, but the point I'm making is it's pathetic the amount of money that banks are offering to their depositors whilst absolutely cleaning up on the lending side as well. As the, uh, the interest rates have gone up from the Federal Reserve, the NIMS have widened to extraordinary levels because of the pathetic level that is being paid to depositors as well. Now Marcus is offering a better level. Now Apple is coming at 4.15%. Is there anything meaningful that this is going to do to shake up the awful level that, that, that savers get in the United States? I.e., is it going to affect the NIMS and net interest income aggressively at any stage of these banks? Yeah, potentially, yes, because I mean, so some of the, uh, the large banks actually they're quite sanguine in terms of net interest uh, income. You would expect them so. And I think JP Morgan was quite interested because they've already been up in the uh, net interest income uh, guidance for the year. And I think so now they actually they expect a realization of the market expectation for Fed to cut rate by the end of the year, which I think is quite a bold. Uh, um, but in terms of the other banks, so if you look at the smaller banks, actually NIM is being compressed. Mm because they pay more for deposit. Those that don't have the luxury to have money market funds or say um, a certificate of deposit to offer to the clientele, then of course, I mean, the need is, is getting shrink. So I really see a bifurcation between the large and the smaller banks. Mm -hmm. Can I make a contrarian point here? I mean, we get this have this assumption that the whole banking turmoil has been negative. I was talking to a startup in Europe yesterday. The banks had called them recently on the back of everything that had been happening and startup community. So had had a conversation about how the money was being held on account or whether that uh, should be moved into better yielding assets and better invested across the bank or assets. It feels at this point that perhaps banks and bank managers had an opportunity to pick up the phone, actually had someone pick up that phone call on the other end and were willing to have a conversation about investments. Do you think most of the time the customer is not that engaged? The client just wants the money sort of sitting there, they want it safe. But at this point, the banks had an ability to have a conversation about moving the money around in various different asset classes that potentially yield some sort of fee for banks. So I wonder whether there is a moment of opportunity here yeah, yeah, potentially. To be fair, I mean, historically in Europe, I mean, the bank have been more under pressure in terms of profitability. And so the large banks have always been trying to move um, some of the deposit into fees income, essentially asset management product or money market fund. And to be fair, this makes sense. I mean, so much the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, uh, title headlines of deposits leaving the system. Actually, they stay in the system because they're not just deposits, but they're actually earnings money for the banks. But, but, but we, can be, we can be fairly clear that it's a bad thing to park money in deposit accounts. Velocity is an important concept in economics, and velocity helps the money circulate more quickly through the economy. 
So sticking $5 trillion into money market funds is really not a great idea. We're going to have a recession because of the banking crisis, not because of higher interest rates. Mm, yeah, I mean, so it's a uh, temporary solution if you want. So, but from an uh, economic point of view, it makes a lot of sense. If you have the short-term treasury at 4.9%, yeah. then I think also there is worse investment yeah. you can make. Good, good. Yeah. We are going to leave it there. Lovely to see you. Okay. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, and nice and early as well. Uh, Filippo Aloati, who is Head of Financials at Federated Hermes, are joining us. Nice to see you, sir. Right, coming up on the show, UK inflation is forecast to dip below 10% for the first time since August 2022. We'll get a preview from possibly, arguably, the best market in London. Ah. And what's the podcast like? Any good? Well, plenty more on the health of Wall Street's biggest banks. Of course, it's a top-rating podcast. You can check out Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll do this quickly because Jeff and Karen have overrun as usual. Uh, um, look, look at this. Look at this. Flat as a proverbial pancake. Not a jot of movement despite the vast amount of earnings. Johnson & Johnson's, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Netflix. I'll come to that in a few moments time. But look at this. And this is the point I'm going to make in a little bit more detail in a second time. Zero uh, four of, of a percent, zero nine of a percent, zero three of a percent. So no net net movement on the absolute index, despite the oscillation underneath. It's like the oscillation in the banks, for instance. And again, more banks reported, more banks to report as well. Uh, and we're learning a lot, as we did from uh, Filippo Aluati there. I don't have to go into too much detail on the banks because we've just done it before the break. Uh, Goldman's down 1.7% after the miss there. Bank of America, despite cutting jobs, up six-tenths of 1%. Netflix after hours. Again, I'm not going to go into too much detail because we've got a great guest coming up on this one. Safe to say, they did wing around a bit. Uh, that's a technical term. Down aggressively and then back up. But the point I want to make is this. Next time one of you tells me you're worried about the market and you're worried about the levels of the uh, forward PE 18, 19 times and the backwards 20 times uh, on the S&P, I will draw your attention to this because there'll be some loon out there at some stage who will say, oh, the fear index, the fear index. This is your fear index, which you know I've never liked. This is the VIX index. What is the VIX? The VIX is a measure of the most active near the money um, optionality uh, on the market. And at 16.83, no one out there is initiating much protection. And of course, with the, the flat levels I just showed you on those indices, it's very, very tough to own premium at the moment. But I just want to make the point, despite the fact we've had this big rally up from our lows, despite the fact that every other guest on this channel is still trying to say, oh yeah, we might still go down to 3,300 on the S&P. The fact of the matter is, no one is taking out their insurance premium. I say no one, of course, net net. 
someone must be. But in terms of the volatility out there, it has been decimated. Year to date, we're seeing the VIX down 22%. I'm just making this point because no one's making the point at the moment about volatility that no one wants to own it because we're drifting up. And that's, as I said to you yesterday, very difficult to own it when the market's drifting up or staying flat as well. You lose a lot of money day by day on that one as well. But the fact of the matter is, look at that, 16.83, all right? So when we get the volatility and it spikes up to 25.30 at some stage as well, don't say I didn't tell you that there was no protection being taken out as the market rallies. And do you know why they're not taking out the protection? Because the story that Cutmore and I were talking about earlier this week is that the active managers are underperforming the indexes anyway, and they didn't take out premium because that costs money and that costs basis points. And that means your performance is even worse if your insurance doesn't pay off. So look at treasuries and where they're currently trading. We had housing permits and starts yesterday. They told us a little bit about the moderation from where we were in February because we had that strong figure, but it didn't come off that aggressively compared with February as well in terms of the permits as well. So single home sales, fairly solid. What have we got today? We've got Beige Book coming out today uh, and a little bit more detail as well in terms of mortgage applications. Uh, but there we go, 4.2% on the two-year, just consolidating the gains on the yield, the underlying declines, uh, and 3.58 on the 10-year. Quick look at the Asian indices for you, and they look like this. Again, fairly flat stuff apart from the Hang Seng, which is down six-tenths of 1%. Opening calls for the markets of Europe on equities are thus. Again, very difficult to own a bit of premium in these markets as well. But maybe, just maybe, Jeffrey, in 33 and a half minutes' time, there'll be something exciting for the UK market to digest. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see whether it's stickier core inflation. We're closely watching the UK inflation data for the month of March. Uh, price pressures are expected to ease slightly, providing some relief to the UK consumer. Reuters is forecasting growth in the consumer price index will drop below 10% for the first time since August of last year. Um, Arabile is out on the streets checking in with the consumer to find out how much that inflation rate is pinching. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Look, you're quite right, right? The pinch when it comes to food inflation particularly has been uh, one of the key elements to look out for. We're just in the uh, borough market, which is uh, close to London Bridge and, of course, the Shard, which is nearby as well, and really is a humdrum of activity usually, particularly when it comes to the food on sale here. Just a quick note on the market itself, just uh, taking a look at how food inflation has impacted its sales then as well, which is, of course, important for the broader picture. I mean, the financial results then uh, for the borough market for the end of uh, March 2022 showcase an increase in sales of around 14%. But even the cost of all of those sales, 14.5% increase in that as well. So that really just goes to show how difficult things certainly have been, particularly with an increase in that food price inflation, which we then saw in the month of February, which caused that overall headline figure of inflation to go up to 10.4%, having seen a few months of it actually trickling down. And we had expected the February figure to dip down below 10%, instead sitting at 10.4%. So now, do we then see that number drop off to 9.8% for the headline number? But while that is, of course, in key focus, particularly for food inflation, the Bank of England will probably be looking at the core CPI number a little bit more uh, importantly because that is the figure that they can control quite extensively when it comes to the rate of increase in those interest rates. An expectation is perhaps to see another 25 basis point hike. But they did speak in their last uh, um, a note then to really say that they expect inflation to drop off quite considerably from here. 
And that is because of energy prices, which have dropped off uh, quite a lot as well. In fact, wholesale gas prices are now at levels uh, not seen before the war uh, in Ukraine, when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022 as well then. So that really does give a sense, uh, a clear sense of where things may lie at this point in time. The Bank of England really, really interested to see uh, where exactly this all goes. Now, the energy prices, food inflation will be important, but that core CPI number will certainly be the one to kind of look out for as well. Jeff. Terrific. Arabile, thank you very much indeed for that. And I presume you're down at Borough Market, are you, which is where where the uh, tie-in is with food and inflation? Yep, 100%. So the Borough Market, one of the larger markets as well in central London, uh, just south of the River Thames then. Certainly about to be a humdrum of activity, a whole lot of markets actually uh, beginning to set up, a few stalls here beginning to set up as well. So we'll probably grab a little bit a little later on. You might. It's fantastic. I, I genuinely love Borough Market. And for all our international audience who are coming to London, make sure you... And the food's amazing down there. You think it's too busy, though? You were down there the other day. Uh, yeah, but you've got to get there early yeah, and yeah. Uh, state your claim, uh, because otherwise it, it does get right. very busy. And it's, it's, then it becomes a little painful. I, I think it's fantastic. I have to... I, 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 do you know what, though? It was so successful. And just backing your point up, right. there was a, it's a very good vegan restaurant just uh, right. very near to wherever Arabile's standing. Couldn't get in for love nor money. Do you like the bar market? I love it. I have fond memories. My father standing next to an oyster stand and just delighting in, in how fresh the quality was. Typical you, in it? I go down to bar market and have fish and chips. <laughs> he goes and looks for a pasty or something and you yeah. go for the oyster stand. You and your family. Well, different, was, different level. Looking nice. for a posh yeah. sausage sausage sandwich, actually. A posh sausage, sausage sandwich. sandwich. There definitely is, yeah. Yeah, a gourmet sausage yeah. on gourmet bread. There you gourmet go. Gourmet sauce. There you go. With your oyster, you dip it in. Have you not seen that before? Apparently not, no. Okay. Anyway, Borough Market, absolute jet. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.